Father God, we thank you that you're a God worthy of our devotion. Lord, we thank you that you're, you're not a God that needs to conform to our ideas of you, but you're perfect as you are. Lord, uh, be with us this morning. God, we pray that all praise, honor, and glory will be brought to you, Lord, for you and you alone are worthy. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, here we are one week after the largest celebration on the Christian calendar. You know, we're one week beyond Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. And I, I think Easter is much more than just an important holiday on the Christian calendar. I think that Easter actually is the turning point in human history. I think that Easter is an event that changed all of human history. And whether you're here this morning and you, and you believe in the events that we celebrated Easter or not, I think we would all do well to be able to answer the question, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, how can we see him having such a dramatic impact on the lives of his followers both then and now? I mean, we see some dramatic change in people that I don't think can be explained in any other way apart from um, the reality that they had experienced, the risen Christ. But belief in the resurrection, belief in, in all of that, that's, that's not really... Um, an issue for me. Um, you know, I do believe that a man, uh, a Galilean carpenter, claimed to be God, and he also claimed to have power over sin and death. I believe he said those things. Those things got him killed. He was crucified for saying it because it was a very unpopular statement for him to make. But he was able to validate those claims the first Easter Sunday when he rose from the dead. And I believe that was a literal event that actually took place in, uh, in history. So yes, Easter is a cause for great celebration. But if I was honest with you, I'd have to tell you that Easter is probably not my favorite holiday. Um, my favorite holiday is probably Christmas because, you see, I believe in the events in the same way that I believe in the events that took place uh, that first Easter, only only the, the Jesus of Christmas is almost um, easier, I guess, for me to deal with. You see, at Christmas, it's easy to look at Jesus as a sweet, you know, baby in the manger. And, and we can conveniently leave him here and we can have this build up to, to the day where we celebrate it. But we can just kind of leave him there. And if anybody asks us, well, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the object of your devotion? We can point to Jesus in a manger, which seems to us to be... Um, a little easier to deal with than the risen Messiah on the throne. So for me, what I do then to deal with Easter is I try to reduce it down to just mere intellectual knowledge, something I can keep in the back of my mind or on the shelf of my life. Because, I, because I'm a sinner, I've bought into the lie uh, or I buy into the lie from time to time that Jesus is actually more comfortable. He's actually better on a shelf and at a distance or in a manger than he is invading my life. So Jesus, Jesus in a manger or Jesus on a shelf, we think is more comfortable to us. The problem is, is the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen so that our lives could be more comfortable. It's true. He says in John 10, 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But the abundant life that Jesus is talking about, I do not think has anything at all to do with our personal comfort. I don't think it has anything to do with material wealth. I don't think it has anything to do with financial gain. See, Jesus has called us to something so much higher than those things. 
things. Jesus didn't come back from the dead so that we could have a party, although it is reason for celebration. But Jesus came back with a message and with marching orders. And I believe that if we can take the resurrection of Jesus and we can take it off the shelf of our lives, if we, can, uh, if we would allow it to go from the back of our minds to the forefront of our hearts and our minds, um, you know, it will radically impact the way we live our lives. The resurrection of Jesus, if truly understood, should provoke a full and growing devotion to Jesus. And as Shannon mentioned, that is one of the, the, uh, the core values here at Highland. So I hope you've heard this phrase before, full devotion to Jesus Christ. And just so I guess we're on the same page, I want to look at a couple of definitions of what, of what devotion is. The dictionary defines devotion this way, a profound dedication or an earnest attachment to a cause, a person, or whatever. I think that's a a pretty good definition. I think my wife actually uh, has a better definition as it applies to a Christ follower's life. Tanya says this, being totally sold out to one. I think that's right. I think that's a two pretty solid definitions of what devotion means and what it should mean in a Christ follower's life. But I think a lot of times when we think of the word devotion, we tend to even reduce that down to something other than a full devotion. We're not talking about something that encompasses our whole life. We're just talking about something that's merely a part of our lives. And you think about the things that we say that we're devoted to. We're devoted to our jobs, or we're devoted to a political party, or we're devoted to um, a sports team or something like that. And what we see is these things, while they're a part of our lives, and oftentimes a significant part of our lives, sometimes too significant a part of our lives, um, there's, it's not an all-encompassing devotion. Our identity is not solely based on um, you know, these, these objects of our devotion. And we can be devoted to other things uh, as well. But what we notice when we, when we look at devotion this way, um, it's typically selfish. It's, it's motivated by selfish gain. For instance, if I stop getting my paycheck, my devotion to my job ends abruptly, immediately. I'm done. I'm going somewhere else. And, uh, you know, it's, so it's something less than full devotion. Well, for the Christ follower, you know, being called to full devotion must look different than um, Jesus just simply being a part of our lives than Jesus on a shelf. And while we can look at that and say, yes, I'm devoted, I'm devoted to you, Jesus. Look, you're there. You're even on the top shelf. You know, it's got to be something more than that. I think a good example of this uh, is found in the life of a man named Simon Peter. Now, Peter's life can basically be broken down, or what we know of Peter's life can be broken down into, um, into two sections. You have over here, you have Peter, Simon Peter, uh, pre-resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then over here, you've got Simon Peter, post-resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I picked Peter because I love Peter. Because you see, with Peter, I can so easily see myself. You know, this is a man who had some colossal failures. I mean, he, he did some terrible things, but he did some really good things. And I, when I see him, I, I see myself only sometimes I wonder if I would even, even be as good as he was. You know, I think of the scene where he steps out of the boat and starts walking towards Jesus. Here's the guy walking on water, and then he has a moment of doubt and begins to sink. I think I would have just kept going and drowned instead of having to face the other guys in the boat, you know. Uh, but Peter didn't. But with Peter, we see a man who uh, is devoted to Jesus. There's no doubt 
that there is a level of devotion to him even pre-resurrection. But what we're going to look at uh, today is the fact that that devotion, the foundation of it was something that could not sustain his devotion in the hard times. We see Peter. Peter is oftentimes the first one in, but he's also always or oftentimes the first one out. He's quick to jump, but he's also quick to jump out of it if it suits him. We see a man who is quick to react whether his actions are right or wrong. Peter does some really good things. Peter does some really stupid things. And, you you know, we read the Gospels now and we think, man, what is this guy thinking? Uh, I would suggest we would do much worse. Peter is also a guy like James in his epistle, uh, in James 1.8, explains. Um, James talks about a man whose faith is so unstable, he's like a ship that is being tossed to and fro in a storm. And we see that in Peter's life, pre-resurrection. Uh, you know, he never can seem to quite get a full, good, firm footing in his faith. He's always wishy-washy. You know, he, again, he does great things. He does terrible things. He says some great things, and he also says some very bad things. Sometimes they happen almost uh, simultaneously. There's a passage in Matthew 16 where Peter makes one of the greatest statements that men can make. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter comes back with, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's an awesome statement. That's exactly what Peter should have said. He's not only saying you're the Messiah, uh, but you're a very God. Now we know from the uh, verses before that, that that's not a popular view of Jesus at the time. At the time, they tried to reduce Jesus down to something other than God and Messiah, but Peter didn't. But in the very same chapter, in Matthew 16, where Peter makes his confession of Christ being Messiah and God, we see him kind of rebuking Jesus because the kingdom of God is going to look to him much different than what Peter thinks that it ought to. And Peter says to him, or Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. So this man that makes these great statements is also this man that we see being referred to as Satan. That's the only time in the Bible that Jesus refers to a man as Satan other than Satan himself. And oddly enough, it's in the same chapter that we see uh, Peter or Jesus laying out exactly what a true disciple of Jesus is. It's the passage where he says, take up your cross and follow me. Peter's primary problem wasn't necessarily the object of his devotion. As I said, his devotion was in Christ, uh, but it was the motivation for it. See, Peter, Peter was a man who was self-motivated. He thought he was going to gain by his relationship or association with the Messiah. But before we kind of throw stones at Peter over that, we need to understand that pretty much everybody had a different expectation of the Messiah than what Jesus actually did. They knew the Messiah was coming. Daniel, a prophet, um, had had set a clock, and this clock was winding down, and the time had ended. Everybody knew the Messiah must come in this narrow window. And suddenly, here comes Jesus on the scene. He calls Peter. Peter starts following him. He's doing all the things that the Messiah should do, all the things that are foretold hundreds of years before that you should see in the Messiah we see taking place. But what they didn't understand is that the Messiah was not coming as a reigning king, not yet anyway. And they all were kind of, um, because of the situation at the time, they were all bent on this idea of a Messiah who was going to come. He was going to be a military leader. He was going to be a political leader. He was going to sit on the throne of David, and he was going to rule 
forever. That's Peter's thought. Um, and that was common thought during the day. And that was the motivation for Peter's devotion. We see the apostles having a lot of issues with this uh, in other conversations. You know, they're thinking, well, Jesus is number one, and I'm okay with that. But, you know, I'm pretty good friends with him. I'd say when this whole thing goes down, I'll probably be number two or maybe number three. Peter is no different. So he's thinking that he's going to gain from his association with the Messiah. The problem is, is that kind of motivation, that foundation to his devotion would not be able to sustain him in the hardest night of his life. You see, we see Peter with the other disciples, minus Judas, who had already left to betray Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they all know that something's coming up. Jesus has been saying things for three years that they didn't always understand or comprehend. And uh, he's been saying things, especially in this last week, that they really don't get. They know something's going on, but they don't really know what that something is. Judas comes into the garden with the temple guard. Now, I want you to understand, just so we see the level of Peter's devotion in a minute, when I say temple guard, don't think local, you know, sheriff's department, a couple deputies come out to arrest a man. This is a major military movement. Um, the Romans and the Jews both would have ensured that there would have been enough men there to contain the situation without much problem. We're not talking about a small number of men here that the disciples could have easily overwhelmed. We're talking about a large number that, you know, unless there was divine intervention, there's no way these guys could have overpowered them. And they come into the garden and they approach Jesus. And we see a, a set of, you know, kind of question and answer going on. Jesus says to them, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says to them, I am he. And they all fall down. Now put yourself in Peter's shoes. I can see him. He's like, even going for the sword now, you know, he's like, all right, it's happening. It's happening tonight. The Messiah, the man that I've already confessed to be God, is about to take over this thing. And they all fall down. And I often wonder about them on the ground. It's like, why did they get up? I don't think I would have gotten up. I think I would have stayed there and like, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to deal with whatever this guy's got. But they get up. And they go through the questions again. Who do you seek? We seek Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I am he. But this time... This time, instead of them all falling down, they're actually come in. Jesus allows them to begin to arrest him. And what Peter does then is he springs into action. He pulls his sword. He goes in and tries to kill a man by the name of Malchus. He tries to kill one of the temple guards. He misses, cuts the guy's ear off. Jesus heals the man's ears, and this is where we see Peter's devotion going from a, a, a very big high point. I mean, Peter was willing to take on essentially an army uh, for Jesus, um, but we see his, his devotion begin to wane at this point. And the reason is, is that it's Jesus that he had put his um, devotion in. Uh, this Jesus that he had been following was beginning to look very different than the Jesus he thought should, uh, or should have been. Jesus didn't meet his expectations of the coming king. And uh, Jesus is arrested, and they begin to carry him away. Now, we have to give Peter credit. There's only two disciples that actually followed Jesus. It was Peter and John. But this is a point in time where it was very real that staying away from Jesus, being distanced from him, was more comfortable in life 
than being close to him. So we see Peter and all of his expectations of what the Messiah will be are being crushed before his eyes and he's following Jesus. And as the night goes on, all these things are happening to Jesus that Peter thinks should not be happening to him. And we see him going from a place of high devotion over here where he's willing to attack a temple guard, which I'm sure there was serious consequences for doing such things, to we see a man over here who will not even confess Christ to a servant girl. He was willing to stake it all over here, but by the end of the night, he's willing to stake nothing. His devotion has not waned at this point. His devotion is non-existent. And that's Peter part one. That's Peter pre-resurrection of Jesus. Then we see Peter over here post-resurrection of Jesus. This is the Peter that I really like. I mean, the the story gets much better from this point. The same man who refused to acknowledge Jesus to a servant girl, we now see weeks later, weeks, just weeks later, uh, in Acts chapter 4, and he's standing in front of two of the very men who were responsible for crucifying Christ, a man by the name of Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest at the time, men that had crucified Christ and had the power to do the same to Peter, and Peter, in response to how he healed a man, he said, it's by the name of Jesus Christ that this man was healed. This man that you crucified was the Son of God, and he's been risen from the dead. A lot of the same language being used about Jesus that Jesus himself used that got him crucified. This is the same Peter that we see in Acts chapter 2, where um, he's, he's... at ground zero, you know, the resurrection event has already happened. There's all this buzz in the air about what's going on. Peter stands up and boldly proclaims, even to a crowd with hostile members in it, the gospel message that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected on the third day. And he did that as, uh, as payment for our sins. The same Peter, post-resurrection, we see in Acts chapter 10, um, where he's throwing aside racial barriers that uh, was deep-seated in Jewish culture. Um, you know, the Jews um, at the time, they really actually hated other people groups. And we see Peter going not only to a Gentile, which would have been despised, but he's going to Cornelius, who is a, uh, a Roman centurion. He should have been hated by Peter, but Peter takes the gospel to him. We also see Peter in Acts chapter 12 and... Uh, um, this, this is a point in his life where he has full knowledge of the martyrdom of Stephen. This is when faith in Christ is really starting to cost people everything. Um, they're having to give their lives, literally, for what they believe. His friend, James, one of the fellow disciples, is dead at this point. He was martyred for his faith. He had his head cut off because he confessed Christ. And you think that the Peter that was the coward in the garden or in the, in, in the, in the courtyard, uh, this would be a point where he would abandon ship because he had that option. The Romans would give you that option, but he didn't. He stayed true to Jesus. His devotion now was grounded in something other than selfish gain. Ultimately, what happens to Peter is we see him, um, you know, the, the, the denier um, to the servant girl, becomes a proclaimer in front of the Roman officials. He tells them the gospel news, and he knows what the outcome of it's going to be. If he confesses Christ to them, he's ultimately going to die, and that's what we see happening. Uh, Peter was crucified just like Jesus was. His devotion went from being waning and non-existent to being unmovable. And I think, I think that causes us to have to ask the question, you know, <laughs> 
what changed? I mean, human nature typically don't change that quick. You know, it, it just seems weird that a man over here that's doing this turns into this man over there. I, well, the short answer is what changed is that he experienced the risen Christ. But if you were to narrow it down a little bit more and be more specific to Peter, I think what actually changed was when Jesus confronted him in John 21. John 21, 15, which great section. Uh, if you've not read 17 through 21 in John lately, I encourage you to do so. Uh, but in 20 and 21, we see... Jesus starting to deal with his disciples, some of which had had problems. When I say deal, I don't mean in a harsh way. I mean compassionately meeting them where they were uh, in, their, in their moments of doubt and, and, and whatever. But in John twenty one fifteen, we read Jesus saying these things to Peter. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The commentators aren't really sure what they're talking about here when it says the more than these. There's really only two options. Um, Jesus is either saying, do you love me more than your friends, the other disciples that are here with you? Um, is your identity in them or is your identity in me? Do you love me more than these? Or he's referring to the fish. Peter, do you love me more than your occupation or your career? Does your identity come from what you do or does it come from who you are in me? And Peter uh, said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, uh, um, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? This has got to be getting very awkward for Peter because everybody knew that he denied. It was no secret. Um, Peter's not feeling worthy to even be called a disciple because of his denial. And the scene that we see here in John 21 looks a lot like the scene in John 18 where Peter denied. You know, you've got the charcoal fire there and you've got the, you know, Peter denies three times. Now he's been asked three times, do you love me? But Peter says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter, when it's easy, feed my sheep. Notice he says, feed my sheep. It doesn't depend on anything else. Peter, when it's hard, feed my sheep. Peter, in the normal, mundane areas of life, feed my sheep. Peter, when it's exciting, feed my sheep. You know, when it's fun, when it's energetic, feed my sheep. But when it's boring and dull, feed my sheep. Peter, when it's going to cost you everything or cost you little, the same thing stands true. I want you to feed my sheep. You love me. You say you love me, Peter. And because you love me, now love those who are mine. And Jesus goes on, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter, feed my sheep, even though it's going to cost you your life. I love the way that Jesus says this in this passage because you don't even get a hint of doubt in Jesus' tone. He says 
this statement as a matter of fact, even though the event itself has not yet taken place. It's still 30 years away. Jesus says to Peter, who is undoubtedly dealing with the guilt of having denied him, basically, Peter, you're going to die for me. When the opportunity comes to confess me again, you will not fail like you did before. This time, Peter, you will stand up under the circumstances and you will die for your faith. I love Peter's own thoughts on what full devotion is. First Peter 1, 3-7, Peter himself saying this later on in life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, that's an important part, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's not always going to be easy. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the band can come on up, but I just want to take a few minutes to look at practically what full devotion to Jesus Christ means in the life of a Christ follower. What full devotion is not, full devotion is not a set of, re- of rigid religious activities that we do um, in some way to uh, reconcile ourselves to God. Our salvation does not hinge upon the things we do, and we can never pile enough things on our calendar um, to, to achieve that reconciliation with God. So full devotion... Um, has nothing to do with us being selfishly motivated, trying to please God by our actions. But what it is, what full devotion in a Christ follower's life is, is simply this. It's because God loves you, because God loves us, love him. That's devotion. Because God loves you and because God, and, um, you love him, love others. That's devotion. The object of our devotion must be Jesus Christ. And the foundation or the motivation of our devotion must be grounded in grace. God's unmerited favor to us who do not deserve anything at all from him. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That those who live might not might no longer live for themselves, meaning at one time we did, but now we are a new, create, new creature, a new creation, and we're living for the one who died for us. Do our lives actually reflect this? I mean, it's one thing to say that we're devoted to Christ, but does it actually play out in our lives? Or is, is Jesus the, the, um, our identity, or is he just merely a part of our lives that we put on the shelf of our life that we can point to whenever the need arises? Or is he the all-encompassing substance of our lives? I'd like to end kind of on, on, on one thought, and that is the greatest act of devotion ever displayed cannot be displayed by us. It was displayed by God. And it's recorded in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still rebellious and haters of God, when we turned our back on him willfully and refused to acknowledge him, Christ died for us. Father God, 
thank you for the level of devotion you've shown us who don't deserve it, Lord. God, I just pray that you'd be, be in our lives, Lord, those of us who would identify ourselves as Christ followers. God, give us the desire, Lord, to grow in our devotion to you, Lord. It's something that, that comes from you, we know, God. Um, be with us, uh, Lord, um, as we walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.